0: this is dave and you are listening to an open letter podcast that was jars of clay a little play in there a song called the long fall back to earth i'm a big jars of clay fan and uh, we've been meaning to use more topical music in the show a little we bit we have mm-hmm. in my head see i haven't told you that yeah <laughs> and it's not your fault you're doing doing a great job
1: and that wasn't exactly topical because we didn't hear any lyrics.
0: No, I know, but this one, this song doesn't really have lyrics. It's just instrumental for most of it. They say the long fall, the long fall. Yeah,
2: the
3: and, earth, and unfortunately, earth, we
2: safe can only. Till the
1: end
0: yeah, you said
2: song.
1: you said I switched it. You didn't see that change? No. Oops. That's
2: what favorite. I have
0: on this list here says one or the other, and I did the one. You did great. It's not your so, fault. Not your fault. Hey, welcome to an open letter. specifically the though. one that Dave texted me. Yeah, that's my fault. I I'll take the blame. And I've got no problem with that. All right, well, you are listening to an open letter, and we start the way we normally do, just kind of like we're just talking, and you're just listening wherever you are. Hey, if you're driving, make sure you're paying attention to what's <laughs> happening on the road. I know that our show is very, very <laughs> exciting and interesting to listen to. The sound of Chad's voice, some have uh, described it as rapturous. I believe people have said. Oh, they have. Yeah, yeah. When our uh, feedback from our listeners,
3: I, I don't know what rapturous is. That must I, I have been Julie.
0: I think it's good, Sharla? Hi. Would you <laughs> describe the sound of Chad's voice as rapturous?
3: I
4: would sh- certainly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. I got to know what rapturous means because when Look i think rapture i my think my brother i'm going to All right And if i don't like it i'm stopping this recording and i'm <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well you have the editing you have the editing power it's a positive thing it's not negative okay i would okay. I, <laughs> I wouldn't zing you would i i don't know well here we are open letter <laughs> we have to my left the lovely wife of my life miss carol wilson tisma hello And across from me, manning the board and has all the power, and he loves the power. We have Chad Cashman.
1: But we all know that power corrupts.
0: And absolute power corrupts. (laughs) I'm sorry, what was that you were saying? Yeah, there it is. And there goes her volume. (laughs) Um, And then we also have, we have a studio audience today of one consisting of Andrew. Hi, Andrew. He says hi. And we have a few ducks outside, but other than that. Um, We're going to start Lake Lancer. Lake Lancer. It has leeches too. It's a pond. That's nice. All right, we are going to start with uh, off the cuff, where I ask a little question, and we all take turns answering it. This is one that I like to to bounce back to every once in a while because it's kind of fun, and I get it actually from Pete Holmes. He's got a podcast. He's a comedian, not a Christian podcast, by the way, either. So be careful if (laughs) you listen. Today's off the cuff question is this. Tell me about one of the times in your life where you laughed really, really hard. Doesn't have to be the hardest you ever laughed, doesn't have to be recent. Tell me about a time you were laughing so hard you just, man, you just lost it. Just giggling, maybe tears streaming down the face. I'm gonna start, because I know sometimes it takes a minute. Back when David Letterman was a big thing, he had top 10 lists. I think he had over 4,000 top 10 lists in his show. Yeah. I don't know. Crazy. Um, it is crazy. One of my favorite top 10 lists were the top 10 numbers between 1 and 10, um, which was kind of weird. And the top 10 things that <laughs> almost rhyme with the word peas, also <laughs> a classic. <laughs> See, Charlotte laughs at everything.
3: That's why I mean, we love her. <laughs> I want to know what the number 1 was, because you know how the number 1 is always kind of something
0: dumb? It can't, yeah, number 1 <laughs> is always anticlimactic. That's kind of the thing. But anyway, so we're at a Christmas party back in um, probably 1990 something or other, and we're at this Christmas party, and we're um, I I got in the top 10 list book for Christmas, and I I kind of brought it out a few minutes before we were ready to leave. And there's about five or six of us standing by the door, and uh, it was my friend Rich and Linda, and we I started to read them, and there was some of them I couldn't read because we were laughing so hard, just. And that's one of the hardest times I've ever laughed in my life. Recently one of the times I laughed really hard is my wife left her Facebook open <laughs> and I posted something about how much she loved penguins. And while I was <laughs> posting that, I was laughing almost till I was crying. <laughs> penguins are I'm fun.
1: So glad it provided you with so much entertainment.
0: It did. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> uh Charlotte, do you got one for us?
4: Okay, one time Mike and I Oh, or at a funeral.
0: Oh dear. And I <laughs> know. Yeah, because those are a place of hilarity. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey, let's go to a funeral. This so, going to be so great. A pastor
3: and a pastor's <laughs> wife are cracking up, laughing at a funeral. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Yes, we were
4: uh, we were at the funeral, and we're sitting there, and I'm the kind of person that I, when I'm nervous, I laugh. Mm. It's like a nervous reaction completely inappropriate but i can't i can't do anything about it like it just happens so we're sitting there and mike leaned over and said something and i don't even remember what it was but it was something that kind of made me laugh a little bit oh
2: no
4: and so I'm sitting there and i started laughing and then the thought went through my head like oh my gosh i'm at a funeral i can't be laughing and that made me laugh harder because it made me nervous yep. and i started laughing so hard and it was terrible because then i was sitting there thinking like i'm shaking this you were sitting in, and like people behind me can see my shoulders like shaking because I'm laughing.
0: They probably thought and you that were crying. And that just made me laugh. Oh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> wow, she really loved Grandpa.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. I couldn't, I couldn't make it stop. It was just the worst. Uh,
0: that's no. That's we we had. Carol and I were sitting in Easter Sunday uh, <laughs> service on uh, or Resurrection Day for those of you who don't like the word Easter. I was trying to take pictures because I run. Uh, I released little quotes and stuff that he has on our Facebook page, and I was trying to take pictures of him because the pictures always do better than the the words we put on.
1: Of the pastor, that is.
0: Yeah, we're trying to picture. I'm trying to take a picture picture of the pastor from the pew, where I'm <laughs> sitting somewhere near the front, and I get the complete wrong moment where he's like looking like, Darrr! you know, his eyes are <laughs> half closed, and his mouth starting to open, and I look at the picture and I just. I wanted to giggle. And we're, Carol and I are trying not to laugh because I know he can see us and I don't want to like throw off his mojo. It's oh, Easter man. And he's preaching about done me serious stuff. I know, right? So
4: I oh, would have totally done me in because immediately the next thought is, oh, no, this is the wrong place. Yeah. And then that would have made me nervous and then I would have been laughing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing you weren't there. Um, <laughs> yeah. You had your own <laughs> church to go to. Uh, Carol, do you got one? <laughs> I don't. You don't? Know, yeah. Car- ch- 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 <laughs> I do have one. All right. Regale us with your laughter story.
3: All right. I, I'm not going to say her name, but she is related to me. <coughs> Daughter. <coughs> okay. So we were at. Subtle. We were at a mire, yeah. which I don't know if Charlotte knows what a mire is. It's like Hy-Vee. Oh, okay. So we were in there, and we're walking through the area where they've got the uh, um, like utensils, the knives, and we walked up you to guys a start, cheese slicer.
0: You guys start cutting up.
3: Just, just wait just wait just wait because you're on the right track yeah okay. I got it. so we walk up to this cheese cutter and she said what is that I said it's a cheese slicer and she says oh I love to cut cheese oh, oh I lost
0: it boom there it is I lost it
3: <laughs> that's gonna be uh-huh. one of those things that her kids and her grandkids are gonna say yeah mom likes to cut cheese
0: and we're gonna <laughs> the, we're gonna just milk this that's a the, the good, good dairy pun I like that this is a story he's going to be telling in the nursing home. This huh? is like to the nurse and whoever wanders by. Did and I ever
1: tell you about the time? And they're going to say he has a 12-year-old sense of humor.
0: Yes, he does. At 90 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I probably will. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Adam Sandler's made millions on a 12-year-old sense of humor, but let's not get distracted by that. <laughs> Carole, do, do you have anything for me? She's got nothing. Maybe we should create one I think her.
1: it's your mission. <clears throat> To give me a laughter story,
0: it's my mission to yeah. give you a laughter story. Yeah. Well, I thought Sunday was pretty funny.
1: It was pretty funny because
0: you were laughing pretty. You were trying yeah. hard not. I knew we were both trying hard not I to ha- laugh.
1: I have a little bit of that, you know, wrong situation, not supposed to laugh thing.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: I guess I have the one from when I was a kid, and yeah, I got my dad laughing. Yeah. In tell church. us about there. You go. Tell us about that. Okay, so my dad had told me that when he would get bored in church when he was a kid, he would look through the hymn book and then put In the Bathtub after the title of the different hymns. (laughs) And so I was feeling a little bored (laughs) so I started looking through the hymn book and I came across the hymn Guilty and Chained I Helpless Lay
0: In the Bathtub.
1: (laughs) And I showed it to my dad and just mouthed the words In the Bathtub and he started giggling. And that just totally set me off. Oh yeah. then my mom started getting upset with us because we were giggling in church. And,
0: and now they've been excommunicated yeah. from that church; never were well, allowed again in the halls that's, of that's the Plymouth Brethren. I know, but it makes the story better. <laughs> what? Why? Why would you let facts get in the way of a good story? I don't know what's wrong with you. All right, Andrew, anyway. were you going to show your mom something there? Did you have something? Because Andrew, Andrew, do you okay? You you have a um you want to talk in the mic there you don't have to but chad's
5: i'm i'm a little concerned over. about this a- i know that's andrew, why i wanted to do it
1: andrew tells stories on me
5: fire away uh, andrew mom do you remember the time that we were just looking for a netflix show and we came across uh the, that great show santa clarita diet
1: oh dear
5: it's a show with um a description along the lines of um i don't know but zombies yeah the the mom has an
0: unusual uh the mom appetite
5: yeah unusual appetite and then it says for people but and then it says but the dad just wants to live a normal life and the part that got me laughing for about like five minutes would you say i i felt like it was like five minutes i don't know it was a while um is a good marriage is always about compromise (laughs) (laughs) i want to eat people (laughs) honey Like, exact, expe- exactly. Like, especially with, like, you know, my parents, it's, like, <laughs> imagine, like, mom and dad, like, my dad. Yeah. It was, like.
1: I, and you thought of me as the cannibal that's, or zombie.
5: Oh, should crazy. I thought of dad as the cannibal? That's not believable. <laughs> that's true. Oh, dear. All okay. right.
1: This is taking a dark turn.
5: All right. So, on that note, thank
0: you, Andrew, for your contribution to <laughs> Off the audience applauds <laughs> All right, so and not last. wow. <laughs> Yay. All right, so here we go. We like to start with something a little less heavy because we do we normally cover heavy topics here. So, we're going to jump right into it like I like to say, and let's hit it. So, Sharla. So, <laughs> we're going to jump to a quote from your book. And this is one of my favorite quotes in the book, and it's a little bit long so this is about midway through the book love again by Charlotte hints here we go just because i cannot at this moment comprehend my own depravity does not mean that i am immune to it indeed it is the very act of denying the great evil i am capable of that makes me all the more susceptible to its lure the secret is not in ferreting out people who are incapable of causing pain and surrounding myself with only them but in becoming a person who recognizes pain as the flip side of joy Like two sides of a coin, joy and pain are a package. If I am to tumble through life vulnerable to each injustice, I will forever see myself as a helpless victim, unable to escape, let alone choose my destiny. Rather, I need to forge myself into a complete person, while within and therefore equipped to bear the evils outside of myself. Only this way can I ensure that I will survive and even thrive during the darkness of life. I was a kind, compassionate, enjoyable person when life was brought, but pain had begun to reveal my true character to me. You remember that? Yeah. Remember writing that? Yeah. Could you talk to us about what your true character was before? I mean, what was what was revealed to you? As your true character was revealed, that ending there I want to mm-hmm. start with, talk to us mm-hmm. about that.
4: Yeah, I felt like my true character, um, I had always been very a very upbeat, happy, joy-filled person. And then... This happened to me, and then I felt like I was weaker than I wish I was. Saw myself quitting, and I saw myself in, in my mind, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
4: looking at the options and feeling like there's just no way I can do any any of the options. Like, they're all bad options. When you're in a position where every option that you have is a bad one, mm-hmm. you just feel paralyzed, and I felt paralyzed, mm-hmm. and I felt like I can't do any of them. I wanted to be a person of character and a person who didn't get stuck, but I felt like I, w- I was a person who was likely to get stuck.
2: Got it.
1: When you wrote that it is the very act of denying the great evil I am capable of that makes me all the more susceptible to its lure, what great evil were you talking about?
4: Well, at that time I was thinking the difference between my situation and Mike's situation wasn't all that great. All that, You know, there wasn't this vast chasm like, oh, my gosh, I could never have done something like that, you know, which is how I felt. I felt like that all the way through until this moment, and then I felt like maybe I wouldn't have done the exact same thing, but I'm definitely capable of doing equally damaging things Hmm. and not, you know, maybe that exact thing, but, you know, I've got my own weaknesses and I've got my own ways that I could definitely mess up (laughs) my life or my kids' lives, you know, or just people that are in contact with me, the realization that I'm also, you know, just because I didn't do that one specific thing doesn't mean that I am less guilty of a person or mm-hmm. less less likely. I'm the kind of person that learns from watching other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And then, you know, some people have to make their own mistakes and learn that way. But I learned by watching other people, and I felt like, yeah, it's not... Um, And there's not this vast chasm between the two of us. I'm also likely to make some pretty tragic errors.
0: When did you come to this realization? That's a pretty tough realization to make, that what he's capable of, what he's done, and obviously Mm -hmm. shown that he's capable of, which is now fact, as Mm -hmm. opposed to your hypothetical, and then saying... You know, there is like when Jesus was saying, if you have thought about murdering a person in the heart, you know, in your heart, you've done it. How did you yeah. reconcile the two of those?
4: Well, that was actually something that came up during some of our counseling. I was bouncing that thought around in my mind because when it was brought up in counseling, I recoiled against it, and it kind of felt oh, like...
0: Yeah. Did it make you like, mad? You know, <laughs> like, that? did that really tick yeah, you off when that? Yeah, it made, it made me
4: angry. <laughs> like, hey, we're here to fix him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Not yeah. me. Keep the spotlight <laughs> off
4: I am so okay. I I don't need any work done to me.
0: Mm.
4: So that was kind of one of those things that the counselor brought me up, and it made me upset. So it was kind of bouncing around in my mind for weeks, and it wasn't the only thing in my mind at the time. It was, you know, obviously there were bigger issues going on right. that demanded more of my attention, just surviving. But but it was always it was in the background, and I was mulling it over. I think subconsciously so then when i sat down to write i actually i actually wrote that and then went back and read it and was a little shocked that i had written it Mm
2: -hmm.
4: i think it dawned on me as i was writing it even though i had been pondering it a little bit
0: yeah it's because i think there's sometimes the subconscious grasps and holds on to something the truth like truth sometimes is like like blood in the water for a shark you know our subconscious sniffs it out and is like starts to pursue it before we're ready yeah. our, our ego is ready to <laughs> fit it into the narrative if you know what I'm saying
4: that's a very good way of putting it yes exactly
1: I remember that that feeling of thinking that the pain of betrayal brought out the worst in me and made me see how selfish I was capable of being hmm. it was like yeah. we let somebody else's failure give us the permission to be the Awful. worst us <laughs> uh-huh. yeah That is a really good,
0: yeah, that's good. So, Charlotte, you were trying to embrace this fact and this reality. I mean, I know there's no flip switch, and it's like all of a sudden, oh, now I believe this is true. But do you kind of remember when you started to to transition to the point where you could start to accept messages like this instead of them making you angry?
4: Yeah, I think it was a slow, slow process, and it definitely was through counseling because obviously, if that statement had come from Mike I would have never (laughs) ever received it or similar statements but the counselor being impartial was more able to bring things like that to my attention and you know then I'd go home and I'd kind of think about it and mull it over and I think it was a few months into our process after there was the initial confession and then one of the things I wrote about in the book was we went to a marriage intensive Mm
2: -hmm.
4: and that was one of the things that got introduced during that time. And it wasn't even with us specifically, but in the intensive there was five different couples and that was actually brought up with a different couple. Okay. And I remember feeling defensive for the wife (laughs) (laughs) and like, how could you talk to her that way? She's done nothing wrong. And then I was able, you know, to put myself in that position and feel like, wow, maybe that applies to me too. But I didn't walk home from that intensive and go, this is my new revelation. Like, it took, <laughs> it took a while, a few weeks after the intensive.
0: Yeah, isn't it interesting in that type of a process, because, you know, and I've shared my story too, is I, as I kind of went through a similar process, when the spotlight, so to speak, goes on the person who's caused the pain, you know, is obviously in the spotlight, and then the spotlight starts to switch to the spouse, and it, there is a feeling like, like the attention means you've done something wrong, like pointing out where you need to be strengthened in this process. Now all of a sudden, make you feel like someone's attacking you,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you're thinking, yeah, like you said, hey, don't talk. I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you talking about me? As right, if, yeah. as if you're off limits.
4: Yes. Definitely. It's almost like I'm wearing the shroud of victims, so you can't touch me.
0: Can't touch this. Sorry. I digress. So another thing I want to talk about in that quote is this. um, The whole idea of denying the evil makes you more susceptible to its lure. Yeah. Why does denying the evil make you more susceptible to it?
4: I feel like when you deny it, you're not going to be on the alert. You're not going to be doing the um, self-analyzation and asking yourself the hard questions because you're just going to assume that you're doing fine
2: right. and then
4: all of a sudden find yourself in a place you didn't mean to go. So if you know that you've got some pitfalls or some weaknesses and you're realistic about it, you're more likely to be analyzing and asking yourself about your motives behind what you're doing and and putting up safety precautions and safeguards and and just making wiser decisions rather than feeling like, oh, nothing can touch me. And then right. I don't have to be careful.
0: Right. So then- I mean, it's, it's interesting. So how do you stay on high alert against being aware of that massive darkness out there that is... Uh, and it sounds melodramatic, but is hungry for you and wants to intrude Mm -hmm. on your life, how do you stay in a a, a sense of high alert against it, especially when things are going well and things are better?
4: Yeah, and that's the hardest time, (laughs) too. Yeah. And maybe it's different for different people. For me, I find it it works better to be very self-aware, which I think before this had happened to me, I was very unaware of myself. I didn't do a lot of deep introspection, so I would do things. I had patterns, but I was unaware of them, and it all just very random in my head.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: I had to ask myself some really hard questions. Most of it stems back to motives, because you can do something, and it could either be right or wrong. It doesn't matter. You wouldn't know from the action. You would only know because of the motive of why you did it. Got it. So knowing yourself thoroughly and continually asking was there part of me that did that thing so that I would get attention or so that I would get recognition or so that so-and-so would notice me? Or did I just do it out of because I felt like it was the Lord wanting me to do it and it was between me and Him?
1: So, I feel like I analyze things like that a little too much, and <laughs> it's almost paralyzing sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So where, how do you find a balance?
4: I think that's a valid point, point because, and that's probably why it's, it's different for different people maybe. Mm-hmm. And I haven't talked to a lot of people about how, how they do it. That's a good question that you brought up because for me, I had not had much introspection at all. It was a new, was a new process for me. You know, maybe it would be different for you then, since you're already that way, wired yeah. that way. Maybe yeah. there's a different balance that you would strike.
2: Right.
0: Carol and I are both more of the introspective type. My uh, senior pastor, Chuck, says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people who nothing is ever their fault, and if something happens, they're always deflecting and you know looking for well, who's what's the cause? Because it's not me. And then there's someone. people who are who everything's everything's their fault. Like we we launched missiles at cereal. It's Like oh my gosh, how did I? I it's probably my fault. I must have done something to cause that. <laughs> it's like no, dude, no, you need to back off. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> what <laughs> keeping it keeping it topical. This is a question that's a little broader. I think is interesting. And uh, feel free, Chad or Carol, to answer this as well as Charla. Why is evil so seductive? And you think of the word seductive, people would like, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything bad. I'd never do anything like that, you know? And then the realization, Charlotte, which I think is so huge that you're able to go, wow, Mike isn't this terrible, awful human being who just did this thing because he's bad. It's much scarier to go, boy, something like that, maybe not that exact thing, but I, like you said, I could do something that would be just as damaging. So why is evil seductive in the first place? When we all know stuff like that's wrong. Yeah.
4: The thing is, if you were try- if you were very, at the very beginning of your process between this choice, and you could see the end result all mm-hmm. the way down to the end of the path and that consequence down there, mm-hmm. of course you would never ever walk down that path because you would you would avoid that like anything. But you don't right. see that. People think they can yeah, get away you just with it. See, maybe it's just a little tiny thing at the very beginning. It doesn't even seem like that bad, you know. Yeah. But then once you've it sort done of it, snowballs. Yeah, it snowballs, and then you're you're closer to the next one.
0: It's interesting how, like, even when it comes to eating. I mean, it's just like it's just a cheeseburger. I just <laughs> want to have a cheeseburger for lunch because I like me some cheeseburger. <laughs>
3: I didn't have dinner yet. I want a cheeseburger, and
0: you know, or you know, or steak, or some fried chicken. <laughs> that's I'll, not I'll take nice. All that. David. I know I am not yet, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to me how evil is so seductive, and it looks good at first, and it's packaged in a way that seems innocent and attractive.
4: And and that's a good example that you brought up with the eating, because if somebody, if you're standing at a restaurant, and somebody said, "Would you like the heart attack?" <laughs> or <laughs> the healthy body, you'd be like, I would like the healthy body, please. I'll avoid the heart attack.
0: Rain but on my parade. You know. Yeah, the rain, rain on my parade. Rain duly rained down.
4: <laughs> you just don't see the end result. You know, you just feel like, I deserve this. It's not that bad. I've done pretty good today.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to me that the initial, there is an initial attraction to do what's wrong. There's a worm at the end of the hook if you're a fish, you know?
1: Well, yeah. We are in a spiritual warfare. I think there's more going on than we yeah, absolutely. It, yeah,
0: Yeah, there's an agenda against us, and I think it's easy for us to, for we forget that. You also talk about in the book uh, how pain is the flip side of joy. I imagine, just to read that again, it said, uh, the secret is not in ferreting out people who are incapable of causing pain and surrounding myself with only them, but in becoming a person who recognizes pain as the flip side of joy. Could you talk a little bit about Why do you think that's true? Because I'm not sure all of our listeners would agree with you.
4: I think, in my experience, the joy that I felt before I had experienced, like, such complete sorrow and pain, see, to me, looking back on it now, it seems very shallow
2: Hmm.
4: because I didn't have the comparison and I didn't have the experience. It's almost like the pain and the sorrow, like, scrapes you deeper into a deeper person Mm -hmm. and so then whatever joy you feel after that fills up a deeper space and it feels richer and more complete
0: yeah i agree with that i've said that before on the podcast that i think pain is almost like a shovel it's it just it it empties it carves out part of you the unnecessary part and it leaves a greater space for something and it will be filled
4: Yeah, I agree. I agree, yeah.
0: Do you feel like the joy you experience now is deeper and fuller than the joy you experienced before you went through all this?
4: By like a million times,
0: yes. But, of course, to choose to go through it again and have anyone else, you would not choose your worst enemy to go through this in a a sense for the pain sort of it. So you see that pain and joy are pretty tightly wed.
4: Yes, I do.
0: Hmm. When did you start to realize that, that your joy now was actually deeper.
4: Well, I think I realized it when the pain was the worst because I felt like what I was feeling then was so much more of a powerful feeling than any joy I had experienced. And I had been married. You know, like I got engaged, and I started to just feel like, wow, this feeling is consuming, like
2: Hmm.
4: so consuming. And the other one was not. So, you know, why the disparity? And I started just kind of reading some books about it and thinking about joy and pain. And if there's something in your life that absolutely can't cause you pain, grief, if it can't cause you great grief, then it probably also can't cause you great joy. Mm. There has to be that risk with it.
0: And Carol's a big fan of this quote from C.S. Lewis about uh, giving your heart away to anything. And, um, and anytime you do, even a dog, I think the quote says. Can you tell us about a time that since all this happened where you've experienced that depth of joy? Where you just were cognizant of it in the moment? Like, wow. I, I mean, joy is such a weird thing because it seems like when you become aware of the deep joy you're feeling, it seems... Like that's when it starts to fade away when you become aware, like, wow, I'm experiencing great joy right now. (laughs) You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah.
4: seems kind of slippery. The most joy I've felt since then was when we had saved up our frequent fire miles for, like, ever since the kids were just babies. And when McKenna graduated, our oldest daughter McKenna graduated from high school, we took the entire family on a trip to Hawaii. Mm. And we didn't have to pay for any plane tickets because we had saved for so long, but but um, so we got there and we spent we spent this time in Hawaii and it was just us and every single day we went to a different ocean and I just remember I remember every day standing in the sun on the sand with the four kids and Mike
2: mm. and
4: we didn't have any agenda and we didn't have to be done by any certain t- and nobody you know had our phones we didn't have our because it was such a time difference, so we we didn't have our phones with us, and we were just we were just enjoying the moments and I felt I stood there, and I remember <laughs> looking at Mike and saying, "If our plane crashes on the way home, I'll be okay. like <laughs> this is the highlight
1: of my life.
0: <laughs> and if you crash, maybe you could end up on the island from lost and anyway
1: yeah to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Ah, there it is, animal. Oh. <laughs>
0: ah.
1: Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the ca- casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable.
2: Mm.
0: the interesting thing charlotte too is there's a great musical out there it's called next to normal and if you want to be completely emotionally destroyed watch it um,
1: <laughs> sounds like fun
0: well it's it's amazingly done and the music's very catchy but it's a very very heart-wrenching story it's basically this woman is um i believe she's extremely bipolar she has a son This spoiler here had died earlier in his life as a, as a child. And she continues to see him and talk to him. And that's part of her, her mental illness. And, um, mm. she goes to a therapist and even gets shock therapy. But her, her comment is, is like, life is misery and people who are happy. I just assume they're stupid. Joy isn't real. The only real, and I hear this from people, you know, I was like, the only real emotion is despair and agony. Cause I can feel that anytime I want so joy must be a fairy tale. It must be fiction. It can't be real. Have you ever heard that before, that type of a philosophy of life?
4: Yeah, I have.
0: And I know one thing about you is, is I mean, you and Mike are not simple people. You are not empty-headed, like, let's just, you know, smile and move forward no matter what's happening because we don't understand the world.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> and why do you think it's so easy to dismiss joy like that?
4: Um, I think there's almost like this, Glamorousness That you Feel when you're suffering It's very Attractive almost To be a victim Because You do get A lot of sympathy And You get a lot of people On your side You know
1: mm-hmm. This is why and there's so much drama In high school <laughs> Yeah
4: Yes <laughs> Yes Probably is And then you get to wear Wear that shroud That I was talking about You know No one can touch me Because I'm a victim
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And you get to wear that, so you get away with things. You get away with, you know, being like mean or a little bit rude or selfish. So I think that there's almost this, um, this <laughs> reveling in your pain, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. and then you look at people who are happy, and they do seem almost a little childish. Like they must be naive to feel that way.
0: Right. It's interesting because your response, your and Mike's response to this. This pain and this grief that you you had to go through, um, you have allowed it to hollow you out. You allowed it to to work in you, in a in a very very difficult way. Where I know other people go through difficult things and they use it. They are totally dumbfounded by what you're saying, because they've used it to shut down, and they've used oh, yeah. it as I'm never going to allow myself to get hurt like that again. I no longer yes. want to feel deeply about anything because it's not worth it.
4: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and how do you how did you not get stuck in that?
4: Well, I read Man's Search for Meaning* by Viktor Frankl. Uh, it was a book I read in high school. I, not high school. I read it in college, and then I've read it probably every year, if not, or maybe every other year since then. It's just mind blowing. So, I mean, for people who don't know, Viktor Frankl was a psychologist, and he lived during the time of Hitler, and he was put into Auschwitz as a Jew, because he was a Jew, and went through the Holocaust. He had a perspective. He decided while he was there that he was going to gather all the information he could as a psychologist going through such an extreme condition and... Study human behavior, and when he got out, he was going to write a book about it because nobody would ever, ever have that perspective again. Wow. wow! And the book he wrote, my thinking is: okay, what I went through was terrible, horrendous. However, the concentration camp was worse. Like, there's no, there's no way to even compare the two. The concentration camp had yeah. to be a thousand times worse. Like, of there's course. no, no doubt. Yet he was able to develop some of these theories that that have impacted me and this is one of them you know that pain is only pain as long as you're choosing to let it be pain mm. when you decide that your suffering is going to be a tool that you use to help other people once your pain has a meaning it mm. stops to be pain
0: huh. it ceases wow. to be pain wow well take that home and smoke in your pipe my goodness that's that's deep. <laughs> And isn't it funny how we do that where we're like, this is like a competition in in a subtle, weird sort of way. Like, well, his pain was way worse than mine. So, I mean, I should be able to be, I I should be okay because I can't compete with that pain. Like he gets the gold medal for pain. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) And somehow he did not shut down or became angry or better.
1: And somehow some of us find a way to be critical of that.
0: Do I mean, yeah. yeah, what do you mean?
1: Well, because a lot of times when, well, the thing that comes to my mind was after the terror attack in, in France.
0: In Nice, yeah. Yeah. When you the Amer- were there.
1: Yeah. And some of the American students were like, why are the French people acting this way? Why aren't they more angry? Why are they going to the beach and eating at restaurants? They should be in mourning. You know, and it was like. they were living life. How can they go on living life? And we talked to some of the French people there, and they were like, "Well, if we stop living and loving and enjoying life, then we're letting them win. Mm. So love is the thing. Right. Love is the thing that's gonna win." And some students were like, mm. "That's so weird." We- <laughs> and it, it's hard for us to grasp sometimes when we see somebody that's mm-hmm. gone through this intense pain. We're like, why aren't they bitter? What is wrong with them?
0: Well, it's even like some of the people in the inspirational stories and the people that become very widely known that there's a guy who literally has no arms and no legs and he was taken up Everest yeah. because he wanted to get to Everest. <laughs> and there's people who are like, yeah, I have, I have these extreme disabilities and they're like, no, I'm not I am not stopping. That's the rarity because yeah. most people who get, uh, you know, something happens to them, the majority, the, the majority um, response is to shut down. I think mm-hmm. I think some people I don't see if you what you guys think about this but I think some people fear joy more than they fear pain. Yeah. I would, agree. would you think that's true? Mhm. Would you think that's true, Sharla? I
1: think
4: that probably is true. It's not true of
1: me. Well, I know that. <laughs> I think it's not perhaps it's not the fear of joy but the fear of experiencing it and then losing it
0: yeah exactly that's that's what i the mean fear of the loss of it okay, yeah, yeah because when you have something that's so great well it's like shakespeare you know it's, an, it's just we think shakespeare said it if he really wrote it you know <laughs> but it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all and i don't think everyone believes good. that i mean <laughs> so anyway no i
4: definitely i remember feeling the 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 fear of being happy again like i will never
0: Mm.
4: love that completely because then i won't have so far to fall
0: yeah stay stay in that middle zone without any real Uh high highs or low lows Um,
4: yeah where everything is just gray
0: so kind of tie-in question here once you've experienced life-shattering pain Mm -hmm. do you live with the fear that you might experience it again or do you no longer fear it because you know you made it through
4: yeah, that was a big hurdle to overcome, because I feel like both are an option. You could yeah. with the fear, and I did. I had that fear. Or you can realize, and that's part of the, part of the secret of, you know what, even I am capable of such destruction. Mm. So if that's true, then how am I going to insulate myself from everybody who may ever hurt me mm. again? It's impossible.
2: I'm not going to
4: be able to unless I just lock myself up in my house and never interact.
0: (laughs) See, that's the scientist part of you is you're like going through, hmm, well, how would that be possible? That's not rational.
4: Right. I mean, that's
0: interesting how you analyze it that way.
4: Yes, it is the scientist in me. It's true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Talk to us about what it was like to be angry while knowing you had every right to be angry. Talk to us about the feeling and power of righteous anger.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it does, it does kind of <laughs> trap you. Did, did you hear <laughs> that evil little so laugh? I did. There's
0: a little evil laugh. <laughs> 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 Ooh, I like being angry. <laughs> yeah, they're glorious days.
4: <laughs> and, that, and that's an easy place to get stuck because, you yeah. at, you know, of course your your reaction is going to be of anger. And everybody on the planet agrees with you and sides with you. And then as time goes on, less and less people feel as angry as you do. And then you find yourself in a place where you either have to start reminding people how much you have been hurt, so that they will <laughs> take up their anger with you again,
0: right?
2: Or you're just stuck.
0: We know people. We all know people like that. Have I told you the story? Did I tell you what they did to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did. We do know, but they they just want to keep telling the same story because that's almost yeah. where they find their identity. I guess.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So, when, when does somebody cross the line between righteous anger and self-righteous anger?
4: Well, and, that's and a really tricky question.
1: How do, you, how do you stop from doing that? For me, the answer became when it became all about me. You
4: know,
0: but isn't it all a, about you in the beginning, too, though? And that's okay because it's recent?
1: That's true. So maybe it's more of um Well, maybe that's not righteous anger then.
0: Well, I don't know. I'm just asking. We're exploring. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cheryl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think
4: maybe it doesn't work to say for me, but there was just, there was a time and it wasn't like a specific hour, but it was more like a specific few months mm. where I knew I've done all of the puzzling out that I'm going to be able to do. Right. There are no more answers coming my way. Right. I've I've got everything I need to know. None of it makes any sense. None mm-hmm. of it adds up like a math equation.
2: Well, unfortunately and for you.
4: Never there's never going to be an answer that satisfies me. You know, but I can keep asking the same questions over and over and still keep getting the same answers that don't satisfy me or I can realize this is the end of that line. And now it's my responsibility to figure out what I'm gonna do with it.
0: And you start to put the anger away to some extent at that point, right? Mm. Yeah. And then, because it's still going to flare up. I mean, how did you deal with the flare ups of anger and realizing I need to move past this?
4: Yeah, that's really hard because you still are justified, you know. And you, <laughs> you know, so like there would be times where, um, you know, it was just like maybe Mike forgot to tell me that he had scheduled something. Right. And and then my reaction would be like as if he had dropped a bomb in our backyard, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
0: you're tying it back to the former pain. Sure.
4: Yes, yes. I, it is so easy to access that anger over little things, and then the feeling is like, what? You don't have a right to get defensive about this. I can have whatever reaction I want because you screwed up our lives.
0: And I really wanted to go to Burger way? King and not McDonald's, darn it, and now you will pay. Yes. <laughs> But it can... Don't
4: question me on that.
0: <laughs> so I can understand where you got... It's tough to be able to disconnect because you just... I'm going to refer back to the moment where you blew it. You Remember when you blew it? Yes. Yep. Do you think that has something to do maybe
3: with an insecurity because of what had happened to you?
4: I'm, I'm sure that it had to have... Yeah, because that is a very insecure feeling. And the feeling of being vulnerable out there again is really overwhelming. So it, I'm sure it comes back to that.
0: How did it feel? Cause you talk about this in your book and I know, I remember when Mike was going through it because he would tell me, how did it feel to just verbally unload on Mike, which from my experience and my story and what I went through, part of the problem with my, my wife, you know, at the time was she never did that. Almost never oh. would never do that or go there. And I wish that she would, and we all had mm-hmm. one time where our friends Jim and Kathy Hobson tried to get her to do that and she refused. She would oh. not. She would stay respectful and polite and nice. And I certainly would never have been like, hey, you know what? Tonight, it's a Thursday night. It's time for you to rip into me. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's Festivus. How did it feel to verbally unload on Mike, though, to do that? That's what I mean.
2: Well,
4: obviously, it felt nice. It felt like a release, and it felt like I say I was had a voice. It felt good to stand up for myself.
0: Mm. And there's a time, and I know this is what happened, and I think you commented it on the book. Obviously, there's times some of the words you'd use obviously were impacting him, but then you'd say something that you could see it in his eyes. It hit a different, deeper level, and mm-hmm. and then there's something about that, in the righteous or even self righteous anger, there is a part of that that brings you a small amount of pleasure, doesn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Why do you think that is? That's really dark, and it's not just yeah, true of because, you; it's true of all of us.
4: Well, when somebody has hurt you that thoroughly, you want them to hurt you.
0: But why? I, I don't. I mean, I get it, and there's a part of me that I don't get it. It's not very logical.
4: It's it's not very logical because it won't solve anything. Yeah. How but is their pain going to take away a revenge. your pain?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just wondered. I I just I've wondered for that for a long time. Is like why why do why does that feel good? Why is if now Chad punched me in the face, now I'm going to punch him in the face, and now I feel better because he hurts too. Doesn't take away any of my pain.
4: No, it doesn't. I mean, it's not logical, and any counselor would tell you this isn't going to make you feel any better. How many stories or books or movies are all about revenge? Like that's that's John Wick. People want it.
0: John Wick One and Two.
1: Count of Monte Cristo.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. By our friend, mm-hmm.
3: Alexander Dumas. Do you think mm-hmm. it has something to do, though, with the victim mentality, where if you are not the only victim, mm-hmm. you feel better about your situation?
0: The Misery loves company kind of a thing?
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah, there probably is an aspect to that. And then also, when you're inflicting that pain on the person who did that to you, it makes you feel like you're not as powerless as you might have felt before you you have a strength Interesting. yeah it then. gives you
0: a sense that, that makes a lot of sense as it gives you power i do have power and you're not going to be able to just make me hurt because now i have power too and i have control i think even more than exactly power. got it
1: which is the perfect introduction for the next little quote from the book that we wanted to read
0: excellent take it away huh? my dear <laughs>
1: Look it, at us go. it says we think of anger vengeance and hatred as powerful tools and we wield them proudly we wave our sharp tools around in a display of control, threatening anyone who does us wrong, and all the while slicing our souls. We don't realize that love is the greatest tool of all because it brings life instead of death. And in the process of using it to cover the sin done against us, we also save ourselves.
0: Wow, whoever wrote that must have been really smart. Yeah. It's <laughs> a great quote. Not just Carla.
1: smart, but wise, too. Well and, you know, and, you. And well,
0: and we know how wisdom is attained, normally. Experience. By going yeah. through a bunch of horrible crap.
4: Yep. I wanted to just buy some at the store.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like two pounds of wisdom, please. I'm going to be going to the in-laws. Thank you. <laughs> I have teenagers. I need another. Could you just bring it daily?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us
0: about how using angry words angrily can slice your own soul. Because it's not what we intend. We intend to slice other people with our angry words. So how mm-hmm. does it slice your own soul? Because you lived this.
4: Yeah. I mean, at first you stand up for yourself and you have a voice, but there comes a point where you are are you're making yourself into a character you probably wouldn't want to be. Hmm. So if you're watching your life on a screen in, as a movie, you know, would you like your character and who you are?
0: That's interesting.
4: And there becomes a point where you're you're standing up for yourself and you're you feel good that you're protecting yourself and you feel good that you have a voice, but then you also realize, oh, when I'm saying these things and when I'm acting out of control, it, it's escalating. You know, I'm quicker to say things that I would never have said before. Yes. I'm quicker to
2: mm-hmm.
4: get mad at things that wouldn't have made me mad before. And then soon you realize you're becoming somebody that you wouldn't root for if it was a movie.
0: Interesting. So do you think that on some level this is the Truman Show and there are people recording you right now, Sharla? And they're all watching <laughs> it is the movie of show well
4: if they are they're really bored sorry <laughs> about that <laughs> sorry
0: viewers so let's talk about love explain how love is the greatest tool of all
4: well i mean obviously it says in the bible that love co- covers a mul- a multitude of sins right so if love covers a multitude of sins it also covers our own
0: i've read the bible a bunch of times as you have, as a lot of our listeners have, and we hear stuff like that, and it's like, yeah yeah, yeah I love moral those those sense. What does that even mean? How does it cover it? In what way? It doesn't wash it away, but it I mean what do you think of that actually what's the what's the practicality of that verse?
4: Well, I saw it in action and it was easier to see it in Mike's life than in my own because it was very obvious. So When all of this came out after his original confession and everything, obviously some people were very, very hostile to him.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. And
4: and that was fine. That's what he expected. So that was great, but there were a few who held out a hand of grace and mercy to him, and that is what did him in. He couldn't handle it, almost. Like, Mm -hmm. that reaction brought him to his knees. Wow. Where the other reaction just put up his wall.
0: Yeah, and, and just like just verified what he was already thinking about himself anyway.
4: Yeah, yeah. And and he you know, he would stand there and he would say, Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you just said about me. I've thought that a thousand times already today, this yeah. morning.
0: Yeah, do you think and that's so, just what I would say is do you think you really think you can say something to me externally that I haven't already done ten times worse internally?
4: Exactly. Yeah. Nothing that you could say is worse than what I've already told myself.
0: Yeah.
4: on on repeat it was almost like the the reaction he expected
2: mm-hmm. the
4: reaction he thought he deserved and so he just would say yep i agree i completely agree and but boy, then doesn't, the other one of grace and mercy just did him in
0: and doesn't that disarm you though when someone you want to rip into them and they're like yep you're right i am garbage yeah and you're like uh, uh, yeah you are <laughs> <laughs> so I don't forget it,
4: it. <laughs> uh, um, so you're extra garbage
0: <laughs> extra stinky garbage Love seems to have this mission that it wants to save. So how, mm-hmm. does, how does, in this instance, in this situation, how does love save us? How did it save you?
4: It saved me, and it wouldn't matter if it had saved my marriage or not. It would have done the same thing in me. Mm-hmm. Um, it saved me from becoming a bitter, angry person. And it made me a richer, wiser person.
0: Yeah, because I liked you plenty before you went through this, uh, but I like (laughs) you more now. And Mike, too.
4: Yeah, I think we are better.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. In the type of situation that happened to you, obviously there's, and you know this, there's many people who are hurt, and there's many people who are impacted, but you are at the eye of the hurricane, so to speak. And we talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about this before, but this whole idea of having a victim mentality how do you break out from having a victim mentality when you are the victim?
4: Yeah, that's it's a trap. It's easy to get stuck there because there is a while that you do you do need to hang out there a little bit. But um, it's easy to get stuck, and then you become one of those people who have to remind you, you know, everybody, like, this is why I'm so mad and so bitter, so you don't seem I- irrational. I think the secret is in realizing that... You you have gone through this terrible terrible thing, mm-hmm. and you did it. You know there's a part of you that can feel proud that you walked through this horror, horrible situation, and you made it to the other side. Hmm.
0: That makes sense, and that ties into what we were saying earlier about the whole idea of when you've actually gone through this and have tried to be open to the process, even though it's extremely painful that you can actually walk out the other side stronger and better. And I think that's the only way to make it out of a situation like this is somehow trying to be open to the process while experiencing. It's almost, I was explaining you to someone else earlier today and uh, talking about this podcast and talked about how you would lean into the storm.
4: Yeah, that's a good way
0: to say it. It's coming at you and you can't run from the storm and, and, and you're not going to enjoy it, but... You know, it's almost like, well, if we've got to go through this, let's go through it.
4: I remember actually having a conversation with Mike and my counselor. We were all sitting around, and I remember thinking or saying, I know that walking through this, there are lessons hidden, treasures hidden along the side of the path I'm on. Mm. And I could walk by them and not pick them up. But as long as I'm going through this, I want to bend down and pick up every single one. That's
2: cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go back all the way back to that initial quote we read. You said you talked about needing to forge yourself into a complete person so you can bear the evils outside of yourself. How do you forge yourself into a complete person?
4: That probably would take a whole book.
0: (laughs) And that's why I want you to write another book, Charlotte. We need this stuff. (laughs) I know the first one was hard, but you, you did it once. You can do the pain of another one. You got four kids, you know?
4: Yeah. I'll just start I just started on that right
0: now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honey, why what are you doing? Dave said I had to write a book?
1: Dave gave me homework. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't but know what's going I, on anyway. He's all drugged up. That's right.
0: <laughs> just give him some ice cream, he'll be fine.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so I would say I mean simply like there's obviously a wealth of information. Well, sure, it's a huge um, question. Yes, but simply put, it goes back to that self introspection and realizing who you currently are mm. and who you have the capacity to be, and then not letting yourself be content with the lesser version of yourself. I like that. Does that make any
0: sense? It does. I'm a big advocate <laughs> of, in fact, I was thinking a lot, of, a little aside here been thinking a lot in the last couple weeks about why we do church and why we do different things. And and I've been listening to this podcast about these guys who lost their faith and then came de- deconstructed and then reconstructed their faith. And the thing, one of the things that even makes me a believer and continues to make me a believer, even though things don't always make sense in life or with faith, that I absolutely know and convinced that the path of Christ is the will make me, as I adhere to it the best of my ability, it will make me the best potential me that I could ever be. I'll never be a better yes. ver- version of me than I am outside Absolutely. obeying the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what Absolutely. keeps me as a Christian.
4: So you have nothing to lose.
0: No, I have I have nothing to lose. If it's all wrong and it's all, and the atheists, they're all right, and my friend Brendan and some of the other guys that I know that are atheists, if they're right, I lose nothing.
4: You're just a better version of yourself yep. at the worst.
0: Yep. Not exactly. the worst case scenario. Do you think you thrive during the darkness in your life?
4: I think that you have the opportunity to thrive during the dark periods of your life.
1: And I think part of that is picking up those treasures along the way. Yes. Like being willing to learn as you go yes, through it. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. But you don't have to.
0: Here's Mr. Joy Boy here. Wee, you know. <laughs> hey, Charlotte, guess what? There's more darkness coming, and but we know <laughs> we know that there is. We know there's there's going to be more tough times. Do you yeah, think that you're- equi- do you think you're equipped to thrive during the upcoming darkness that you're going to experience in your life?
4: I would hope and pray that yes, I would have that um tool bag now, mm-hmm. and I hopefully would use that tool bag, you know obviously, it's all unknown, so
0: absolutely, yeah. but the one known is is that you're going to feel more pain in life, yes. You know, yeah, things are going to go wrong. You know, your mom and yep. dad are going to die someday, and that'll be a big thing. I mean, not to be a not to be a downer, you know. Not like we want to focus on <laughs> well, this thanks stuff.
1: Thanks a lot, David. I love being on Dave's <laughs> but you're podcast. Right. Pain is a flip side of joy, so it's always it with is. us.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it can, and are we equipped so that when it happens, you know, like you're going to be able to go? I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to feel like I'm thriving, but like you said, yeah. I've got the tools that I do know how to learn from this. And at the coming out of it, then I'll go, there was depth in that.
4: Yes. I don't think you ever feel like you're thriving during it. You you, probably feel like you're being stripped clean of everything. But Mm. afterwards, you look back and you think that you learned learned a lot.
1: I feel like God brings us through things to help prepare us for what's coming and to grow our spiritual muscles. And I think that mm-hmm. not that it gets easier every time you deal with pain, but like you said, you have, you have those tools, you know how to approach it. And every time you're a little more prepared with a little bit more wisdom and a little bit more closeness with God and yes, you can hang in agree. there.
0: Yeah. And there's times that we go through things to prepare us for what's coming up. And there's times that things happen to us. that's not like God was like, well, yep, I wanted right, this to happen right. to him. But then we allow him to use that in a positive way in our life, which is, it's tough to to wrap our minds around that sometimes. Charlotte, what would you say to someone who's in darkness right now? Someone who thinks they're listening to this and they think you are nuts for (laughs) saying that's a possibility. Because, I mean, and just uh, for a second before you answer that, I've, you know, again, I shared my story. Carol shared part of her story. Chad shares part of his story. We've all been through what we would call life-shattering pain and that's why we do the podcast i mean we're hoping Mm. that people listen and we can extend the lifeline and they can go you know what it isn't hopeless that's why we have people like you on because we want (laughs) to extend that feeling of hope and and survival and even like you said the ability even thrive in it what would you say to someone who's in darkness right now and thinks you're nuts
4: I would say, I mean, obviously, you're going to think I'm nuts. I would, I would have also been to it at the very beginning, you know, of my process, or even partway through. However, I would encourage people to kind of just let these thoughts bounce around in their head for a little while, mm-hmm. and let it let it simmer and give it a second look, and realize that um, the pain and the darkness is not your identity there's more and there's a better you can come out on the other side a better person
0: Hmm. yeah that's good
1: so one of the things that I was wondering about this whole process obviously it was a huge betrayal of your marriage and um, you're still married (laughs) yeah what um, what was the key to rebuilding trust with Mike I mean. Were there, were there things that the two of you have done intentionally to help rebuild that trust and restore the love between you?
4: So I teach, I teach a class, and this is one of the things we talk about a lot. Okay. Um, oh. Because if you're going, you're going to come through this process, and my goal for everybody that I teach um, is so that they will come out a healthier, stronger version of themselves regardless of what happens to their marriage. Right. So if their marriage makes it or not is not the goal. However, if your marriage is going to make it, there are three things that I stress need to happen, and this has to happen over a long period of time. The first thing is sincerity, and this is something that I didn't know enough, but I I saw all these three things in Mike. Um, so over a period of time, the sincerity was there, you know, the genuine sorrow and repentance and absolute dedication to sticking it out and doing the work to fix everything so that sincerity sometimes you see it for a week or two
1: Uh and then it's gone you know
4: so you need to see it over a period of time
1: right
4: and then that will help like if you're gonna if your trust if you're walking the path of trust that that sincerity is like one step over a long period of time, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be able to take your second step once you see ability. So in Mike, I saw he was taking classes. He was getting counseling. He was going to programs and treatments. He completely changed, like, he, I mean, like, accountability partners, um, and he was doing all the things, Mm -hmm. you know, that they said to do, and he did it for a long time, not just a week or two. He did it for Years. I mean, he's still, he's still doing it. Yeah. So, you know, he was doing all of it. He learned it. He absorbed everything, and then he did all those things. So that's ability. And then the, and that helps you take the second step. And then the third step is durability, which is those times where um, you're tempted to blow it again. So in our situation, because it was a betrayal, it would be things like pornography or something like that, uh-huh. that he was open and honest about it, and then he would... Do the things he had learned, and you know he had learned, and then he would come and tell me about it. And it didn't mean he handled it perfectly every time, but Mm -hmm. over, you know, most of the time, he was handling it in a durable way, so that the patients would come. But he was durable enough to endure it.
2: Yeah.
4: And so it's those three things together over a long period of time.
1: So, do you ever have those little moments of panic or fear? Because I I get those sometimes, and I'm not even with the same man. But <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get these little moments of panic, like "Oh, it's happening
0: again! Oh no!" Do you ever oh, yeah. feel that? I and think, what do you do? Awesome. What do you
1: do when you hit those moments?
0: I don't know what that was. That's all right.
1: That sounded like a train. Mm. It's, it's. I have a train coming by my house. Oh, oh. rude
0: train! <laughs> Go ahead.
4: <laughs> um. Yeah, that and that's something that's hard to under, you know, it you would have to know how you respond and what works for you. So for me, when I get those moments, you know, Mike and I have worked out a system mm-hmm. so I can I can say I'm feeling insecure about this, you know, and then he'll know, "Oh, that's that's the, you know, that's her having <laughs> a little a panic attack or whatever." Right. You know, and then he'll be able to address that without his defenses going up or without um, it escalating. So we just have... I mean, every couple that I've talked to who's made it through has some sort of a system worked out where either, like, um, my husband knows that if it's my phone number on his phone, he will always answer it, even in a business meeting or anything, and... Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have that one because I feel like that's a recipe for disaster with our cell phone coverage. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but every couple has something, some system in place. Yeah, I think and we're so, working on one. <laughs> what?
1: We're working on one because, we you are. know, coming from two different stories. Yeah. It's it's a little weird, but. Yeah, so your system will have to be very creative. Yeah.
0: And, it, and one of the things, and again, like you, you try to learn from other people, and one of the things, like Mike um, told me when he was going through this back in the mid-2000s, um, he said that when there was something that would, he'd see, read, hear, that would kind of trigger him in, in an erotic fashion, he would he would tell you about it and say, hey, I saw this thing today, and I'm just letting you know it got my attention. Yeah. You know, yeah, and that so would be... Yeah, that's how he would do it with you.
4: That And that's part of our system, so that it does two things. Because I told him, I mean, obviously when you're raised in the church, there's a lot of shame. Mm. Yeah, It's almost like you feel, as a man, that you should walk through life and never notice anything. <laughs> and if you do, you're ashamed that you noticed, which is
2: unrealistic.
0: <laughs> right.
4: So we had to get over that part of it. And then we had to get over the part where um, if he told me about it, I would be offended by it,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: because I grew up in the church, so I believed that, yeah, he shouldn't be affected by anybody except me <laughs> on the whole planet, evermore. <laughs> that would um, be nice. So I that? had to get over that part and work on my reaction. And so our system was, he would if he saw something, then he would tell me about it, and then I would use it as a learning opportunity to know what kinds of things get his attention, and then I would maybe say, okay, maybe maybe that's something that I could do. You know, if it's for, for example, he worked at Menards, so it's a lot. It's a, like a lumber company. There's not a lot of women around working there um, in the outside wood area. But one day, um, this woman walked in and she had a man's T-shirt on and it was cut off real short. So
2: right.
4: I, it got his attention. He came home and he was like, I need to tell you, I tell you, this got my attention. Well, I was like, well, wow, oh, that's easy. I can do that. I can totally take <laughs> one of your
2: t-shirts and cut it off <laughs> nice. and wear that.
4: If you like that, I would have never thought you liked it. It didn't, wouldn't cross my mind that that's something well,
0: you he, he probably didn't even know he liked it either. As a sometimes we see stuff and go, that was pretty hot. I didn't <laughs> nice. know that. I think that yeah. was hot. But that way that woman ate that ice cream cone, super hot. Hey. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking of a weird example. Chad looks horrified. <laughs> Chad's making faces. Yeah, that's a very bad example. Well, come up with a better one, there, professor. The, I, I, never mind. No, that's I'm fine. not even going to touch that. No, that's one. fine. You know what I'm saying, though. Something will, as a guy, because we are so visual. There are sometimes something we'll we'll see something, and we never we weren't looking for trouble, but it'll just trigger something, and we're like, mm-hmm. oh man, and then we have the shame come in, especially as Christians. Well, mm-hmm. I can't tell anyone that that turned me on because I just got shamed by Chad for thinking stuff was sexy. Um, but that's so easy to do, you know, and go, man. Well, I can't tell anyone that because that's, exactly. that's weird. And instead of being yeah. open and honest and going, hey, I'm just letting you know this is an Im- this 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 tweaked me. This impacted me.
1: Hey, mm-hmm. maybe we should stop for ice cream on the way home.
0: That's a great idea.
3: <laughs> Turning off mics.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, he did too. Turn you um go ahead carol you have another one there we're we're, we're gonna wrap here we? in a second we're on the last oh. page top of the page
1: yeah so i think there's a definite distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation um oh yeah and i was wondering if there was a time where was there ever a time in this process where you thought yeah i can forgive him but i'm not sure i want to live with him and what helped oh, you gosh. make that additional I, step i thought that
4: all the way all <laughs> the way through the whole process until the very end of mm. working it out, um, yeah, and I in my class, I always tell everybody, forgiveness takes one person, reconciliation takes two people, oh yeah well, that's
2: so good. yeah, did you're you, always
4: able to forgive, and did you, you think need of that? to because you need to be a better person and not let this define the rest of your life, right, but reconciliation takes two, so that forgiveness does not mean your marriage is going to stay together at all, right. In fact, sometimes if you are becoming a better person, it will ruin your marriage because he's not.
0: <laughs> and he's exactly not going to be willing to. You right. have one person willing to move forward and grow and develop, and the other person's like, nope, I'm yeah. stuck here, thanks.
4: Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, so, you, there's no reconciliation. There, There's no reconciliation
0: possible. When did you realize that you had made it?
1: That you could reconcile, that we're, you forgave him, and yes, you were going to stay together.
0: And love him, and like, we're this is happening, and this is... We're together again and we're back on back on a new track.
4: It was after the marriage intensive and after we had had quite a bit of counseling and I had moved out of our house for about two weeks with mm. my kids into my parents' house. And so it was quite a ways into our process and and I think that's the key thing was I didn't know enough at the time, but enough time had elapsed that I could see that he was his sincerity was genuine and not going away. He was his ability was not going away. He was doing all the things that he learned to do, and that he was being durable. And there was a long enough period of time where I, I felt like I could I have every right to walk away, and I don't. I wouldn't even feel guilty about it. But I think that he's a different person. I really believe it, and I've seen it for long enough now that I think I—I I think it's the real deal. And I knew I could be getting tricked, yes. I could get hurt again, yes. But I—I I believed in my heart that the Lord had changed both of us, you know, and him especially. Mm-hmm and so that's that's kind of what i based that decision
0: on yeah it um i remember when when this everything blew the storm initially blew up and i remember people telling me that knew both mike and myself that said oh there's going to be more this has been a pattern (laughs) we're sure that he's been doing stuff like this when he was originally Love when people are like that yeah they're like there was they're like i know that I bet you say anything. There's going to be more people coming out of the woodwork, and he just—that's why he came to Des Moines in the first place.
2: Because oh, yeah.
0: I, and I remember people saying stuff like that. it's like people seem to enjoy and revel. I was like, man, mm-hmm. I sure hope not. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But people, yeah. lo- people love a good juicy failure.
4: <laughs> they definitely do. And yeah. And
0: I think you guys are amazing. Um, again I know that uh, you've heard me say this before I'll say it again you guys are some of my favorite people in the whole world and even if you ever get sick of being my friend I'll never let you guys go
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a little creepy stalker well thank you but I don't think we'll
4: get sick of it
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's just my low self esteem coming out Um, no but could you tell us we're going to wrap here in a second but I want could you please tell us about your ministry you've alluded to it could you please tell us a little bit about the ministry that you started? While my wife coughs in the background. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. Go ahead. So I,
4: my husband teaches uh, a class for guys at our church, and um, it's it's from the pure. De- if you don't, if you're familiar with the Pure Desire
2: group, yeah, I've it, heard of it.
4: Um, okay, so he does. It's similar to that, um, and then I. Do a thing for the wives, or fiancés, or ex-girlfriends, or whoever. Really, for anybody who's been betrayed. And we have a. We meet on Thursday nights. He meets with the men. I meet with the women. And we just walk them through it.
0: Awesome. Now, do you travel at all, or is it just at your church?
4: Well, this is just that is just our church. But we have traveled, and we, you know, speak to couples or you know, split up in men and women and um, little little retreats or conferences,
0: things like that. Yeah, but that's not like an active, like this has a has a name or anything like that. Like No. We had, um, and, and you guys, somehow I got to connect you and Leith McHugh, you guys, I think that you guys would be hit it off famously. She, she started a ministry based on what she went through, but you guys haven't officially like, hey, I go and speak. A, I have this book, and now I'll come speak to you about, I mean, that's not really a thing that you're doing right now.
4: No, it's more of a thing that we
0: just do if somebody asks us to. Okay. Last thing I'm going to ask you is again, um, let's say that there's someone listening and there's a wife or husband that uh, they just found out that they've been betrayed by their spouse or their fiance Mm -hmm. or long term, you know, um, in a long term relationship or something. And they're reeling right now, they're just devastated by the news they've realized that it is indeed true Um, what can you say to them in this vulnerable place in their lives
4: first thing I always tell people is right at the very beginning don't make any big decisions (coughs) just take it slow and time is your friend and save the big decisions for when you're in a state of mind where you're calm and able to think things through and for now just do the things to survive and really uh, treat yourself like you're in a hospital. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful what you're exposed to and be around safe people.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Um, it's a tough topic, uh, betrayal, mm-hmm. learning to love again, learning to trust again. And I, I hope this has been helpful. And if you are going through a tough time right now and you need to reach out to somebody, um, you know, we can, and if you feel like even if you need to speak with Sharla, uh, first off, you can learn a lot about her, get her book, Love Again. It's a really good book. It's, uh, it's on Amazon. She also has a blog. It's called What Happened to My Marriage. And there wow. are some fun adventures that she writes about. Some the, Nobody lives like the Hintzes, I don't think.
1: She's got some crazy kids. <laughs>
0: crazy kids and a crazy husband. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's
0: true. Um, so if you're going through a tough time right now and you feel like your world's falling apart or caving in, you, you can make it you really can mm-hmm. um and, and and because this is certainly a faith-based podcast we're going to point you in the direction of god we're going to point you in the direction of of just just spend some time every day talking to him um read some of the psalms uh there's a, you'll find a lot of emotion there and you'll be able to connect with other people who thousands of years ago are feeling some of the same things you are and uh, there is a way to survive this. I don't care what you're going through. You can make it. You can do this. Mm-hmm. All right. So any last words from anybody? Carol, you got anything you want to say? No, oh, thanks. You're good. Chad, you good. Charlie, you got anything final for us?
4: No, just thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. This has been an open letter. Um, the, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us on Facebook at an open letter. Or you can go to our, you can email us an open letter to you, number two, the letter you. We are on iTunes. We desperately need, we want your reviews. Um, even if you don't like us. Even if you don't like us. Well, we want to get better because we feel like we have been prepared with our stories so that we can reach people who are hurting and people who need to think about things that they aren't normally comfortable thinking about. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, we're doing it from a faith based perspective. So, again, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your night, day, or whatever, whenever you're listening to this. Because I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's the middle of the night. I don't know. Who knows?